This is the Swift by Sundell podcast, the show that answers your questions about Swift development. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for the third episode of this podcast. I'm your host, John Sundell, and this episode will be our very first special edition. Today is all about answering your questions about security and encryption in Swift. And to do that, I have with me two really awesome guests. First up is Anastasia Wojtova. She is a mobile tech lead at Cossack Labs. And if you've been following Swift for a while, you've probably seen her speak about security. Uh, she's done a lot of great talks about security, encryption, and protecting the keys to the castle, as she likes to call it. Uh, welcome to the show, Anastasia. Hey, thank you. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hi. I also have a second guest because uh, this is, you know, a quite complex topic. So I thought, let's bring two people on and it's going to be really cool, I think. Uh, and the second guest is Marcin Krzyzanowski. Uh, he is the creator of CryptoSwift, which is one of the most used Swift encryption libraries. Uh, he's also really into Swift performance and getting under the hood of things. And he's working as an iOS developer at PSPDFKit. Uh, welcome to the show, Martin. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Hi. Uh, did I get your last name correct this time again? Yes. Wow, that's you two perfect. in a row. <laughs> you perfect at it. <laughs> that's great. It turns out that living in Poland actually improves your Polish skills a little bit. Who would have thought, right? Who would have thought? <laughs> so I think this is going to be a really interesting episode because uh, like I pointed out uh, in the last episode is that I am definitely not a security expert or an encryption expert, so I'm really thankful for you guys to be here with me to answer all these questions, because I'm sure that I'm going to also learn a lot as well during this episode. Uh, so what are you up to these days? Well, there are so many things to do. As usual, you know, making the world a more secure place, right? <laughs> this is how it, it sounds. Yeah, and you, you recently, did you recently join uh, Cossack Labs or you've been doing it for a while on the side, right? Yeah, to be honest, I was an open source contributor first and the Cossack Labs is a British company that likes security product. They're making tools for enterprise and for developers, but recently I'm joining them part-time and I think I will join them full-time soon. So yeah, I will be dedicated more into security and maybe a little bit less into mobile security, but more into security in overall. Oh, that's that's really interesting because this is like a company that does security like across all platforms or Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly the case and actually I'm like uh, one of not so many people that are doing mobile there. So we are kind of expanding our horizons and making you know, making things for all platforms. Yeah. Well, that sounds uh, sounds really interesting. And what about you, Marcin? What's uh, what's going on these days in Warsaw? Uh, it's great. It's hot. And, you know, I'm sitting at home because um, I'm working from home, just as you. And I'm working on the best PDF viewer application on the App Store, you know. Wow. PDF kit. Yeah, <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, so that's the that's my main main job uh, I'm doing, and uh, beyond that, um, I actually I, I jump into the 
open PGP recently back. I have this project Objective PGP that is the implementation of open PGP for the iOS and the Mac and uh, there's something going on around this project and uh, I back to that after some pause. So yeah, I'm really into reading the RFC and what happened in between. Uh, not that much into CryptoSwift because I cannot focus on both projects at the same time. So after I finish the Objective PGP, I will probably jump back to the CryptoSwift. I have some new features already uh, in the queue. Something is mostly implemented, just uh, final touches. So I hope that the users will be happy. Yeah, that sounds good. So Anastasia, I mentioned in the intro that you've do, been doing a lot of uh, conference talks about security and I've seen quite a couple of them and yeah, they've been really, really good. Uh, so for those of you who kind of don't know you or haven't been following along, could you give a little kind of intro to what you're usually talking about and, uh, and what you're interested in when it comes to security? Well, um, that's easy. Uh, if you have a lot of free time and if you have a lot of free evenings, I really suggest you to watch my talks one by one by one because they are together. They are making a whole story, to be honest. Wow. It's like yeah. a, you know, like a big series, like an epic saga. Yes. Epic saga with funny pictures, uh, with Dada birds, with a funny fennec fox, etc. And uh, if you like... The thing is that I'm talking mostly about some security fundamentals uh, which are useful for everyone and which are useful for us as for mobile developers. And the fundamentals, they are, you know, they are something that already exists, not depending on Swift, Objective-C and other changes in our iOS world. So instead of talking about same things again and again and again, I'm more focused on um, describing some exact use cases or some exact problems. For example, my last talk was about key management, right? About all those strings we used to put in our source code and believe that it's kind of secure. Mm -hmm. But it's maybe not. Yeah, that's the, that's the keys to the castle, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah I, yeah, I definitely also recommend people checking out your talks and uh, we'll put links in the show notes to all of them uh, so people can go and find out more after listening to this as well. So what do you think, guys? Should we uh, dive into the questions? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. So as you know, this show is all about answering your questions about Swift development. And since I started asking for questions from the community, uh, I've gotten quite a lot of security-related questions. So that's why we're doing this like very special edition. And we might do more special editions in the future as well, depending on kind of what questions uh, are being sent in. And I want to thank everybody for sending in questions. That's kind of the backbone of the show. And uh, it's really cool to get all of these questions and being able to kind of form these episodes from them. Uh, if you want to submit questions, you can head to swiftbysundell.com slash podcast, or you can just tweet to at swiftbysundell on Twitter uh, to ask your question. And it can be really about any topic that you would like us to discuss here on the show. So if you have a question or a topic, uh, make sure to send it in. 
All right, so uh, let's get started. Uh, we have a couple of questions for you here today, and we're going to start with a question about uh, HTTPS. And this comes from Petri Hytinen, who is at Petri Hy on Twitter. And he's asking, is HTTPS enough, or should you use an extra layer of encryption for sensitive data? Well, from my perspective, HTTPS is must-have, but depending on your app, it might be not enough. Why? Because, well, let's, um, first of all, let's think that all the security things that are really depends on your goals and your products you're working at, working at. Because if you're making, like, Instagram for kittens, right, maybe you don't need to implement all these shiny techniques. But if you are dealing with sensitive data, you might think about adding additional layer of encryption for your transfer data. Why? Because HTTPS, like SSL, the whole architecture of SSL is centralized. And it might happen that someone will get the SSL certificate for your server, not in a very legal way. Just being able to steal it. Uh, yeah, but and I'm not talking about stealing. I'm talking about that some certificate authorities can issue a certificate not for domain owners. Uh, like an issue with WASign uh, this autumn. Uh, in September, if I remember correctly, uh, Apple, Mozilla and Google, they stop working with WASign. WASign is certificate authority just because WASign suddenly issued certificates for people who are not a domain owners. So someone can accidentally or not accidentally get a certificate for your server. And if you rely on HTTP only, HTTPS only, um, that person with certificate can decrypt all your data. So if you believe that you have some sensitive data that you transfer, you might think about adding additional layer of encryption on your own. And what do you what do you say? What would you say is some examples of sensitive data? You mentioned earlier that uh, you know if you're building some Instagram clone for kittens, maybe it doesn't matter. But where would you say? Of course, it's kind of a broad question, but just in general terms, where do you usually draw the line between sensitive data and non-sensitive data? Well, that that's easy to be honest, because there are some definitions of uh, sensitive data. Mostly it's about passwords, it's about passport numbers, credit card numbers. Also, we have uh, standards like uh, HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A. It's a standard for storing and transmitting medical data in USA. Or GDPR is a standard, it's a regulation for Europe. Uh, what is What data to protect? So what is a sensitive data? It's already defined. And that is like what is required by law. Yes. To, to encrypt. Yes. The question is, do you want uh, for your app, for your product, do you want to expand this definition? Do you want to add something else? Because maybe you want to protect the pictures generated by your users. Right? So it's right. really product dependent. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and when I want to store um, some data, for example, on disk, uh, Martin, what would you say, like, is that something that I can use CryptoSwift for? Or is that uh, this other library you're working with? Uh, what is it called? The Objective PGP. What, which one of these would I choose to kind of encrypt my data and store it on disk, would you say? You can use both. 
I would argue to use, uh, well, I would recommend to use Objective PGP because that's the tool to, to, to encrypt. And this is the protocol, basically. Uh, the Crypto Swift is just uh, basics. Uh, I forget how it's called. Um, it's elements uh, you can use to build uh, your solution, encryption solution. Like you, you get a cipher, you get the authentication, authentication hash or whatever, and you bound it together and build some kind of protocol. That kind of protocol is, for example, Objective PGP, uh, Open PGP. Mm-hmm. Open PGP uses all that cryptography and uh, bind it together, define the protocol, and allows you securely encrypt your data, encrypt and decrypt your data. There's a, v- a lot of protocols like this for uh, the, the Open PGP is for emails, and sometimes you can encrypt your local data <clears throat> i believe it was the semantic that offer the whole disk encryption with uh, open pgp uh, in the some previous versions of their enterprise solutions so objective pgp is like an implementation of those standards or those protocols yes exactly yeah there's a lot of it like for the chats we have a signal right now or otr uh that is used even by Apple, uh, but that kind of protocols, they all use the cryptography, like a ciphers, but there's a not just cipher. You, of course, you can get the, the cipher like IES, right? Get a cipher, you uh, get a password, some salt, and encrypt chunk of data. But there's probably not enough for sensitive uh, information you have to you you want to uh, you want to protect. There might be like like I said, there might be authentication uh, hash required, some maybe authorization uh, the part of the message. You know, you have to build the message, and and the the message should be secure by itself. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. So if we're going to summarize uh, the kind of our answers to this question, um, if you are building something simple, which doesn't really have sensitive data, maybe HTTPS is enough uh, to just have a secure connection to your server. But if you are storing sensitive data, well, first of all, check what you're legally required to encrypt. But then also you might want to extend that model depending on what your app is used for and what you want to make sure doesn't fall into the wrong hands. And once you do um, add an additional layer of security, you can use some of these like standard uh, cryptography algorithms and protocols, uh, either using, you know, something, some built-in library or something like CryptoSwift to do that. Does that sound like a good summary? Yeah. I I want to add one thing because you mentioned the law and this is, Actually, very important thing, because like a ciphers and in cryptography, um, the the politics uh, are trying to, you know, put their hand on the, on the sensitive data, and there are standards by the governments. Like uh, in the United States, uh, for now, I believe the AES and DES is still or, or triple DES is still. Uh, are the ciphers that are officially 
ciphers that can be used to uh, encrypt the government uh, documents. Uh, they are not always the best ciphers, but this is due to law and uh, this is how they define. They define the time scope uh, and, uh, you know, all the things. On the other hand, if, you, uh, in, if some of you apply, submit the application to the French App Store and you say that you, you use some encryption, then you have, to, uh, you have to wait for some documents or some approval by the government that you can actually use the encryption uh, in France. Uh, this also applies to uh, many other countries. So the law is very important. And this also applies to what is the sensitive data, as you said. Like in Poland, we have very strict, uh, um, very strict law. What is sensitive data and what have to be protected and what's not. It's like a personal data, your security number or whatever, your address, or even email. Uh, so uh, if you implement anything and you transfer that kind of data, you should check out all the uh, standards that Anastasia uh, mentioned and your local law as well. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. And we'll put some links in the show notes uh, to these um, standards and uh, bodies that you mentioned. Uh, but but yeah, definitely, uh, before you just add encryption to your app, it's probably a good idea to check what kind of compliances uh, there are and what you need to do in the markets that you're, uh, you're targeting. Great. Um, really great answers there. Uh, let's move on to the next question, uh, which comes from Sumit, and he is at Zen underscore Prague on Twitter. And he's asking a little bit about cryptography and what libraries you should, you should use. And he asks, uh, common crypto versus open source alternatives like RN Crypto or CryptoSwift, uh, what are your thoughts? Now I have a I have a suspicion here which library Marcin is going to recommend. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you should use common crypto. Uh, there's well, is is depends. Like it depends. Yeah, like many things in in programming, it depends. <laughs> really, uh, what is your target? If your target is, uh, what's your platform target? If your platform target is iOS and <clears throat> macOS, and you should look at uh, Common Crypto probably. But the Common Crypto is known from being uh, solid, but not very fresh. Like it, it, there's not much updates going on uh, to the new ciphers. They, the, the Apple implement them, but they are not uh, in a public API. So it might be not enough for your application. So there you go for the open source. But correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Common Crypto also open source? I mean, it's not on GitHub, but it's the source code is open on Apple's website, right? Yes, 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 it's, it's, it's open. It's not open source in the terms that the license allows you to modify it or right. anything. So it's not like a community-driven project like CryptoSwift. Exactly. Uh, it's you can download it, take a look at it. Uh, you have to agree on some terms, and yeah. But there is still a part part I think there's still part that is not open source. Uh, it's, I'm not sure. There, there used to be at least a part that was not open source. Anyway, 
Okay. Uh, what's good? What's good about uh, crypto? Common crypto, it's uh, it meet the um, government standards, the state's government standard, like FIPS too. Uh, that is important for uh, maybe important for the companies that uh, create uh, applications or solution for the government because this is uh, what the government will ask: Do you comply uh, comply comply to the uh, FIPS two? Let's say right. The FIPS two is a certification program that takes I don't know year or two and costs like. 20 grants of 40 grants like it's costly and takes a lot of time and it may invalidate if you do any change to uh, to the library so you have to again certify you your library but there are libraries that uh, that uh, meet this standard yeah so this is common crypto very good has problems but it's Normally, it's good and it's available on, on iOS and macOS. But what if you go to the Linux? And if you go with the Swift to the Linux, right? Yeah. There is no common crypto. So there is a crypto Swift, which is one option. Yeah. Uh, but you can use the OpenSSL. OpenSSL have a libcrypt that is part of the OpenSSL. You can use that. It's a good one. Actually, for the Linux, there's a lot of libraries you can use, just bridging that to the Swift. There will be mostly wrappers uh, because they are written in C or C++. Like this, the gold standard is uh, Lipsodium. Okay. Uh, Lipsodium is known as the one of the best, if not the best implementation of cryptography. Uh, the problem with the Lipsodium is, on the other hand, that uh, the, 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 the ciphers we need now, like AES, is there just because people asked about it, but it was not intention at the, at the beginning, it was not intention to implement that because, well, it's so old, let's focus on something new like ChaCha or the salsa-based uh, uh, ciphers. So it is very good for the new cryptography, like the like, like curve-based uh, keys and, and uh, asynchronous cryptography, but maybe lack in some old, uh, old algorithms. Yeah. But this is very good. But all of these uh, libraries are libraries that give the user... I said that before. I give the user just the plain algorithms. Yeah, and then you can choose what you want to do with them. Yeah, and then you go to the protocols like RN Cryptor by Rob Napier mentioned in this uh, in this question. Yeah, RN Cryptor is you can build RN Cryptor out of CryptoSwift. Like there's everything is there. So it's a more high level tool. Yeah, it's a, it's a protocol. It defines the, the, the how data is structured, what uh, algorithms you you can you, you should use, and yeah. So if you need uh, encrypt data, anyone and you say, okay, I don't know much about cryptography. Um, I don't have like um, uh, boundaries. Um, so yeah, encryptor is a good choice to just. Uh, take it and encrypt chunk of data and send it or store it 
because why not? Yeah. Uh, it's proven to be good. Uh, on the other hand, if you have, if you write the application that talk to the some uh, web service, let's say, and there is a okay, this part is uh, encrypted with the AES, this is RSA, this is something. Well, just use one of the libraries like CryptoSwift or whatever uh, to to build the payload you need. Yeah, and then uh, you let the backend or the server take care of the rest. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, 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 I, uh, I would say one word about CryptoSwift. I, it's not that I'm saying you should use it. Maybe, probably you shouldn't. <laughs> I, I don't want to be accused like I'm forcing anyone to use that. Um, I just want to say the project is open source. Uh, everyone can look what's inside. And if you think something is wrong there, just let me know. You know, I the, the last thing last thing I want is oh, it's probably bad because it's bad. Yeah. I don't accept that attitude. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it on the last episode with uh, Roy Marmelstein as well. That you know, a great way to get started with open source is contributing to things that you're using and kind of changing your mindset a little bit. That instead of you know, just reporting a bug or saying that something doesn't work, like dive in there and try to contribute and see if you can actually fix the problem that you're facing. Exactly. There's one aspect, it's, it's a performance. You know, it's very important in cryptography performance. So the crypto Swift is written in Swift and uh, I, I'm trying to get uh, the best out of the Swift I can, but there's, there are limitations I cannot over uh, overgo, and um, some libraries will be faster. Mm, it is known that uh, IES is hardware accelerated by the processor CPU. It's in the Intel. It's in ARM. Uh, the 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 part that takes the most of the time uh, can be just replaced with the five or six can remember now uh, assembly assembler uh, instructions that will do all the job. So it's very fast. Mm -hmm. This is this is part I cannot uh, do in CryptoSwift right now because I can't touch the assembler. So that would need uh, some bridging to C that can execute the the assembler code directly. I hope that will change in maybe in Swift 5 or 6. Uh, but th this is the, the main limitation I'm, I'm facing uh, with the project. On the other hand, like uh, when I optimized the SH1 uh, hash calculation, mm, the current implementation is as fast as the OpenSSL, if not faster. So. Uh, yeah, that that is a good one. Yeah, but I don't I don't think like IES cipher can be uh, as fast as hardware acceleration. Right. Uh, yeah, that's that's gonna be hard. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be hard. So okay, I'm over. <laughs> <laughs> so Anastasia, in in your experience, like dealing with these things when you're working on security, like what is your take on this? It's uh, do you prefer using like common crypto or something Apple provided, or are you usually going for some open source alternatives, like community driven alternatives? Well, as Martin said, uh, common crypto is a nice thing, although it's like a, uh, a set of Lego pieces. 
and it's up to you to make something valuable from these Lego pieces. If you're okay with cryptography, if you understand what you're doing, you can use common crypto. If you are not, I would not recommend you using common crypto because there are so many places when you can put wrong information, you can put wrong uh, bytes, or you can use old school and old-fashioned uh, ciphers that are available in common crypto. So I would not recommend you using it uh, uh, until you understand fully what you're doing. I like the approach of using a library that provides you a protocols, not just a set of ciphers, not just uh, you know a set of those small pieces, but the whole protocol. And as Martin says, uh, Lipsodium is one of them. Uh, Aran Crypto is good if you want to use um, something to, to, to provide a storage encryption. Uh, I would suggest you something to use that if you want to make a really good transfer encryption because it's not enough, it might be not enough to transfer data uh, without using, for example, ephemeral keys. Right, just to wrap the data in some symmetric cipher and to transfer it, it may be not enough. You need to build a more sophisticated client server system. You need to rotate keys. Uh, you need to make sure that the server is one you're really communicating with and your client is one you really want to communicate with. And it's like, it's a protocol level. It's not a cipher level anymore. Right. One of the things, um, I'm working is a famous library. Actually, we, yeah, as Martin said, we have, this, the idea is the same. We have a C core and we have a lot of wrappers for both clients and the servers and we are not dependent on Swift or anything like that. So if you're building like a, something sophisticated, if you don't have an iOS app itself, but have a whole system, I would really recommend you to take a look on more sophisticated things. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's. A, I guess that's a good tip. I think in general, it's, you know, if you're interested in these kind of things and you want to learn more, then you can dive more low level and take a look at the cryptos and the way they're implemented and all these kind of things. But if you're just looking for something to kind of get started, then maybe it's yeah, I kind of agree with you, Anastasia, there that, you know, it's it's probably a good idea to start with something a little bit more high level, something that you can just kind of use to encrypt your objects uh, using a few lines of code. You don't really know what's going on under the hood, but that's fine. And it's better than nothing. And then you can kind of move on to uh, learning more about these things and, and how they can be more performant and uh, different algorithms and different kind of cryptography that can be used in different kind of situations. Cool. Uh, really great answers there. Uh, we'll move on now to the next question, which comes from Zach, who is at ZFallGout1 on Twitter. And he's asking about how security on the iOS platform compares to security on a more mature platform, such as the web. Uh, so basically, how does it differ dealing with security on like a native iOS app versus a web app? Well, that's a funny question, I believe, because uh, we all know about so many vulnerabilities in um, in web applications, in websites, and 
there are like so many of them. From other perspective, we have a solid operating system with uh, with Apple, who does a lot in security with secure enclave, with pin protection, with a sandbox, and all these shiny things. I think it's like two worlds that we cannot even compare. Just two two different, truly different worlds. Uh, in terms of security or cryptography, we need to, to have a source of trust, like, you know, to, to trust something in our system and to build the whole protection based on this trust. And I believe for this case, web platform uh, should be trusted less than the solid native iOS application. Yeah. Uh, but I guess there's also a little bit of a trap there that uh, I know that I've been falling into in the past where you kind of, when you're working with the web, you know that all of your code is going to be exposed in the in the client, like if you're working on JavaScript, for example. So you wouldn't like put your keys there or your secrets there. But then you're working with the compiled code, like working with Swift or Objective-C before it, and you kind of fall into this trap or illusion that everything you write here is private, like it's compiled, no one's going to be able to read it. But then eventually you learn that, oh, you know, actually there's a way to extract all the inline strings uh, from an app binary, right? So uh, sometimes I feel like we can fall into this kind of false sense of security uh, just because we're dealing with native code. That's true, that's true. We as iOS developers, we believe that we live in this shiny world of, you know, unicorns and ponies and Apple handles everything. But yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not really true. Yeah. And like you say, we have a lot of tools at our disposal. Like you mentioned the Secure Enclave, for example, which is uh, what uh, Touch ID uses to like store all the fingerprint information, which is also a public API that you can use as a developer. And you have like the keychain access and all these kind of things. Uh, all these tools that are available to you to actually store things securely instead of uh, kind of in plain text, right? Martina, I have a question for you about this. And it's, um, for example, we just talked about like having strings in line in the code. Uh, what is your usual approach to kind of not doing that? Like how do you usually store like your client secrets uh, when you're working on, on your Swift code? You can use public-private uh, cryptography, uh, asynchronous cryptography. <clears throat> this is how the uh, HTTPS is built on, and uh, you can encrypt. Well, you, you can encrypt the data. You can also use one of the just a cipher or one of the protocol encrypt that with some passwords that you uh, keep in your mind and ask the user. Well, there's a lot of approaches. The question is, if the if this data is really have to be secure, like maybe you don't have to put that uh, in the application, and if you can, maybe it's not the not the if information that have to be protected because the protection is from the architecture of the solution. Like pre, like using these kind of key exchange and things like yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All the LTR and and signal protocol, uh, all the ephemeral keys are based on that. Uh, well, it doesn't matter because the keys are just here for the second, and we never use that again. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, there may be a use case where when you when you want to start store the some data and it is encrypted. I would use the PGP in my case probably. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't wanna or any any other protocol based on the public private key, so you encrypt with uh, with the public key and can be decrypted on the other side with the private key. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You've both now uh, mentioned ephemeral keys, uh, which could be just interesting to explain a little bit what that is. Uh, Anastasia, what what is an ephemeral key and how does it usually fit into this whole uh, way of doing security? There's a super simple idea that when you transfer something and you encrypt this something with a key, at the moment when your key is leaked, everyone can decrypt the things you are sending, right? So yeah. the question is how key can be leaked? Well, there are plenty of ways and some of these ways are unexpected for you right now. For example, the new vulnerability in the algorithm you are using can be found and you cannot predict this. So you cannot just rely on the one key to encrypt all your data. What do you do is you're rotating the keys, then uh, the keys that encrypt the data in a transfer, you rotate them really often. You use one key per session, for example, or one key per 10 minutes. It depends on your, uh, on your system. But the keys are temporary. They are ephemeral. And the, if this key, one key, will be leaked, attacker can decrypt only one piece of data. He or she cannot decrypt all the data that was sent before, encrypted with another key. And uh, what is more important, the data that will be sent after won't be, encrypt- won't be decrypted. So it's both future and past proof. Uh, yes, and the, the future is more important because the future is unpredictable. And as, as I said before, the new vulnerabilities can be found. And this is this uh, future protection is called uh, forward secrecy. So we are kind of using ephemeral keys is a way to build a forward secrecy. It is all good. Uh, it is all good, like OTR, uh, the, all the, the signal and all the protocols that are based on the ephemeral keys. Very good. But there's one, I don't know, but there's one, like a thing with that, with that, all the chat applications, because then you have to store, you don't have to, but you want to store uh, the history, right? And you don't use the, these keys. And the protocols do not define how you store the, the, the history of your chats. So you just put it in your database and you can blow it away. Like you can really uh, expose all your data just because you had a very secure uh, session, but the history was is stored in a very insecure way. So this is something to look after. Yeah, definitely. You want you want this is one of those things that you want to get right from the beginning, right? Otherwise, you might end up uh, having a history that can actually be leaked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. For example, um, when last time I checked applications installed on my phone, I found that most of them do not use any storage encryption. So basically, you can read all the data in a plain text. You can see all the data in a database. Right, yeah, that's obviously not good. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, I think we have time for one uh, a little bit quicker answer to our last question, uh, which is which is about SSL pinning. And this comes from Sophie, who is at Finet on Twitter, and she's asking SSL pinning when uh, when it expires, uh, what can we do to avoid possible doom? Uh, it sounds a little bit cumbersome on iOS. Yeah, it depends what what technique you use. Uh, of course, you can uh, you can pin and use just one certificate, but you can have like a more than one certificate uh, with a with a different uh, uh, if it's about the expiration time with the time of expiration. Uh, so you can you know just have one certificate that is uh, backup certificate, or you can came up with some protocol to update the certificate while you're still using your application. You know, like a special comment um, that will authorize uh, your application and ask for new uh, fingerprint, and you know the application will update uh, itself with the new new key or you can update of course the update to the application so is that like a master key or that you always storing like an extra key in case you need it in the future yeah you, you store like a f- fingerprint to check uh, if the certificate you you get is the one you want to talk to you you, you should use yeah right? so you, you have this pattern somewhere so we just store something uh, about public service certificate and we compare the certificate just to make sure that we are talking that our application is talking with a server it's supposed to talk. Uh, there is different ways what exactly to store. The thing is that uh, you can issue SSL certificate uh, with date uh, with creation date or with date of um, being like available that differs from your current date. I mean, you can issue a SSL certificate for your server, which which will start working in future, in a month, in three months, in a year. You can issue it right now. So first technique that you can use, you can put several SSL certificates inside your app. Okay, so have like a queue of them. Yes, and check them one by one. And when one of them will be expiring, you just change it on the server side. And you are kind of uh, safe for the next 30 days, 90 days, a year, depends on your uh, expiration date. There is a problem. What problem do we have here? That not all users will update your application. And sooner or later, all your certificates will be expired and, whoa, disaster. As Martin said before, what you should do is you should to create a channel, a trusted channel to update the certificate. And obviously, you should not do it from your server. I mean, it's a good idea is to use different servers. One for your API calls, another for updating certificates. And you should be sure that uh, the, at the moment when your app is talking to this certificate server, at this moment, app, app really trust this server and the connection is trusted and you don't send this public certificate in a plain text. So you have like a trusted authority that you can always get a new certificate from. Yeah. So basically your app 
just on a startup, for example, once in a while, just make another API call to another server to check if there is anything new, if there is any new certificate, and to update it locally. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like uh, really great tips on how to avoid because that's also kind of a thing that I've heard a lot is that, you know, you implement SSL pinning and then you just include a single certificate. Maybe it has a validity of one year and then one month before that certificate expires, you're like, whoops, maybe it's time to issue an update. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Cool. Uh, So that's actually all of the questions for this episode that we have time for. So I want to thank everybody who sent into questions uh, for this episode. Uh, Again, you can go to swiftbysundell.com slash podcast to submit your questions, or you can also tweet at swiftbysundell as well. Uh, On the next episode, um, I'm going to have Ash Furrow from Artsy on the show as a guest. And I think this is going to be really cool. Uh, Ash, he is Mr. Feels. He is the compassionate software developer, and he really cares about uh, being more compassionate, working better as a team. And he's also a really great conference speaker who works a lot on open source. So I'm really looking forward to having him uh, on the next episode. So make sure you send some questions for him and me to answer next episode. Uh, So we've reached the end of this one, and all that remains is to thank you very much, Anastasia, for being on the show. Yay! (laughs) And thank you very much, Marcin, for being on the show. Thank you very much. This is the best show. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I definitely learned a lot this episode. Uh, I know that we went into a lot of detail about security, which I think is great. Uh, But I also understand this can be a little bit intimidating in the beginning. So we'll put a lot of links in the show notes to all these kind of resources and different libraries that were mentioned. So you guys can check that out and uh, let us know if you have any follow-up questions. We might have Anastasia and Marcin back for a follow-up episode in the future. So before we uh, hang up here, uh, where can people find you, Anastasia, online? Well, you can find me in Twitter. Just use my Twitter handle, uh, Vixentail. And I see that there are some questions that are left. Probably I will try to answer them on Twitter. And yeah, absolutely. If you have, like, I mean, if you have any questions or comments regarding slides, etc., etc., just ping me in Twitter. I am available there. Great. And what about you, Marcin? Where can people find you? Yeah, Twitter. Twitter. I'm on Twitter. You can find me. Uh, my handle is hard to pronounce, but I'm sure John will attach it to this. I will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's my last name. Yeah. Uh, or you can just Google me. You'll find me um, on the Twitter. I'm there. My uh, messages, direct messages are open to anyone. So feel free to, to ask me any question. That's perfect. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at John Sundell. And thank you everybody for listening. And I'll talk to you on the next episode.